Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Hi. So, Zach, in April 2020, the developed world was largely stuck at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. What did that mean in terms of global emissions? Well, they went down initially, but what we're seeing now with the economies opening up again, restarting a little bit, we're seeing a record rebound in emissions and things are not going well. In fact, they're going just about the way you would expect them to when you don't think too far ahead. What happened during the pandemic recovery is a lot of nations vowed to go green with their spending. With vaccines starting to be rolled out, the primary focus remains on getting the pandemic under control. But at the same time, governments must seize the opportunity to create a recovery that is both green and inclusive. But really what they did was do short-term liquidity measures. This was a lot of social safety net spending at first, and then a lot of fiscal and monetary measures that were open to all sectors just to keep economies humming. So when you open things to all sectors in a business as usual way, is going to favor incumbent industries, which across a lot of the world is going to be the fossil fuel industry. I'm Annie Snyder. This is Politico Energy. And today, Zach Coleman on the green recovery that wasn't. It's Wednesday, October 20th. So, you know, there is that phrase the you know, never waste a good crisis. Um, certainly, you know, the world noticed when emissions dropped so significantly back in the spring of 2020. What exactly was the promise? What was the hope around the around the energy component of, of those initial stimulus and recovery measures? Well, the initial promise was kind of embodied by then candidate Biden, who said we're going to build back better. These investments are a win, win, win for this country. He was saying, like many other leaders across the world, that we've got to use this crisis of collective action to head off the next one, which is climate change. In fact, it's not the next one. It's been happening. You know, so there was this this kind of idea that, well, let's kill two birds with one stone. We know that this would greatly help people in the next public health crisis while also addressing local air pollution and climate change. But it just it didn't happen. It would have required a little bit more imagination than what the U.S. was willing to take on and and what other nations were willing to take on, too, when economies were really sputtering. It, It just became a call to get money out the door. And the way a lot of governments did that was by Uh, you know, fiscal and monetary measures that supported already standing industries rather than trying to seed new ones and seed new investment in uh, next generation technologies and industries. So I know that there are a lot of different analyses out there, different ways of breaking this down, different countries to look at. But what what can you tell us about where the money went when it comes to the energy sector? The money mostly went to fossil fuel companies. I mean, it went to industries that uh, are, are heavy in natural gas and coal and oil. You know, there have been some good reporting on which companies did take advantage of uh, stimulus in the U.S. and elsewhere, and it is going to be those companies that are already well-positioned from a political economy perspective, and that's kind of a, a function of the design of a lot of these stimulus programs. I think that what a lot of critics of how the stimuli went is that this was a moment in which you could uh, take care of the immediate needs and take care of people and safety nets while also thinking about if we're going to spend a lot of money, how do we prevent these 
types of crises from being just as bad the next time around. So so when you talk about programs that are open across all sectors of the economy, sort of favoring the incumbent sectors, incumbent businesses, does that is that to suggest that the sort of alternative energy, green energy, um, alternative transportation options just couldn't keep pace? I mean, what, what exactly does that look like that, that made it less available to them? Well, there's just more of these other you know, companies in the economy. You know, when you look at some of the uh, monetary measures that the, the Fed embarked upon uh, that were directed by Congress, I mean, these are debt relief programs that when you look at who's going to take advantage of that, it's going to be a lot of coal, oil, and natural gas companies that finance their new exploration by issuing more debt. Is it too late now for for governments to use this pandemic as a jumping off point towards transitioning to lower emissions solutions? It's getting to be a little too late. I mean, if you think about the reason for a stimulus, it's when your economies are flailing and you need to inject money to keep it going. And, you know, now you're starting to see economies open back up a little bit. In the U.S., we're dealing with inflation concerns. And then you've got the, the energy shortage, which is politically a, a potent argument for people who might not want to invest in uh, clean energy, even if it's not necessarily an argument that's made in good faith here, because it's not really clean energy that's raising costs. It's the uh, mismatch between supply and demand and the uh, rapid ramp up we're seeing in economic activity now. Also, on Tuesday, the White House insinuated that removing the Clean Electricity Performance Program wouldn't necessarily endanger President Biden's climate goals. While we continue to work with our colleagues in Congress on a clean energy performance program, this independent analysis lays out a path to the president's climate goal without the CEPP in place. Asked about the fate of the program, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki suggested that the administration could still meet its climate goals with a suite of policies. Uh, no one policy, in our view, uh, makes or breaks our chances. It's clear that we need to pursue bold efforts in all of the economic sectors that release harmful... Uh, she pointed to other provisions in the infrastructure and reconciliation packages, such as investments in electric vehicles and charging infrastructure, and said that they would still ensure the economy would move towards cutting emissions in half by 2030. The Clean Electricity Performance Program has been in limbo in recent weeks, with West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin making clear that he's not fully on board with it. But many energy analysts and other Democrats on Capitol Hill are skeptical that the U.S. could hit its goals even with a clean energy standard, and are especially dubious about one that wouldn't promote renewable energy as aggressively as the original SEP. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morning energy. If you like our show, then like it. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps more people find the show. Some of the music in today's show came from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Annie Snyder, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future.